the other AI attended uh, an executive advisory board and there's like 15 CISOs in the room. We talked about identity management and there's a lot of things I learned from that group. There were companies with 500,000 employees in that room. And we have the same problem. I don't have 500,000. I do have 30,000. still a lot of problems. This peer-to-peer is so valuable for us because, uh, you know, we can't just rely on vendors to tell us, hey, this is the best thing in sliced bread. Welcome to Audience First, a podcast for tech marketers looking to break out of the echo chamber to better understand their audience and turn them into loyal customers. Every week, Danny Wolf has brutally honest conversations with busy tech buyers about what really motivates them, the things they hate that vendors do, and what you can do about it. Get access to practical information on how to build authentic relationships with your audience, listen to and talk with your buyers, and apply real customer insights to your strategies and tactics. You owe it to the world to unmute your mic. Are you ready? Welcome to another episode of Audience First. I have a very special guest today with us, as always, Cecil the CISO. Cecil, how you doing? <laughs> Thank you for the introduction, Danny. I'm very glad to be at your Audience First episode. So I hope I'll be able to contribute to your program. I believe you will. We had you over at Dr. Dark Web. So I think given what you've shared there, you'll provide a lot of great insights here. And I'm thrilled to get to know you a little bit more. So Cecil, tell me a little bit about yourself. Who are you? What do you do? And why the hell do you do it? Oh, that's a loaded. Those are loaded questions. Danny, I work at a large healthcare revenue cycle management for someone asking what is revenue cycle management, you know, from the moment you schedule your hospital visit to collection, that's, that's us. About 30,000 people worldwide were spread everywhere. That adds to the complexity for security. I used to be a CISO, the CSO for the Dallas-Fort Worth International Airport. Been around a lot of companies, worked at Boeing, CBSL, GameStop, TXU Energy, and now I'm here at the Revenue Cycle Management Company. I also run uh, a... Uh, I don't want to call it an events management company. I call it a CISO community. We call it C- CISOXC. We have our, we had our second event, very well attended, well supported by the CISO community here in Texas. The first one, we got 200 attendees during pandemic. The last one, we almost have over 600. We have another one next month, uh, two months from today in December 8th, here in, again, mostly in Dallas. Or hoping to branch out in other cities soon, but right now, Dallas, I still have my primary job, which is taking 120% of my time. So, but yeah. So what's your motivation for doing all of this? Interesting you asked that, Danny, because last week I keynoted the conference and, you know, the first hundred days of CISOs, my first, you know, if you become a CISO, what would be what you should do first for the first hundred days? And there's a couple of my slide deck about why you should not be a CISO. There's so many reasons why you should not be, but there's a lot of other reasons why you should be a, it's a lot of work, a lot of challenging times. You wake up in the more, you know, middle of the night, you know, because you got phone calls, you know, maybe minor or major issues. 
maybe sometimes I'm just dreaming about it that, oh shoot, I thought we had an incident or something. So I, I enjoy the profession. I enjoy working at my company. I enjoy working with, for my boss. It's very seldom to, you know, to this is the second time I, I work for my CIO. He was my CISO seven years ago, and now he is my CIO. So combination of great team. I'm, I'm blessed with a very good team of security leaders. I have a great support system within the company and outside the company. You probably see my pictures on LinkedIn. We bike together. We go out in dinners and lunches. We drink. It is a very rewarding and very, I would call it more, I, I don't know the right words. English is my second language, Danny. So what can you, I don't know the exact adjective or word to describe it, but it is very difficult. But when you have all those things going around you, the support system is awesome. It makes the job easier mm-hmm. and more fun. Empowering. I think. Empowering. And, em- and em- the most important is we're having fun. <laughs> yeah, that's great. I love hearing that. You talked about some really positives there, but I want to know what you hate most about the industry. Some of it you discuss on your podcast, you know, dealing with yeah. vendors. I could tell you, there's a lot of things, probably hate is probably a too much word, but there's a lot of things I don't like inside the companies, you know, you, politics and drama everywhere. Good. That's given dealing with vendors. And I, I could tell you sometimes the first they would call me on my cell phone. That's from the, the, the most that, the, that I hate because, you know, they'll just call you like all day, a lot of BDRs. SDRs, they would call, emails is fine. And sometimes I feel like that they think that I don't know what I'm doing, you know, you know, mm. presenting me with a lot of this, hey, Cecil, we can, pro-, you know, are you aware of this? I think in general, it's really challenging because, you know, you can't e- even blame them. They're, they have a job and on, you know, on the on the challenge on doing my job, securing my environment, of course, threats and dangers are always there. I can complain all day, but they will always come. So yeah, there's a lot of things, Danny, but yeah, I, even with all the things, all the negative things, I, I still enjoy it. <laughs> Before we hopped on this call, you started telling me yeah. about some of the challenges you're dealing with right now within the healthcare industry. And I want to drill down into that a little bit. As a CISO, in your current role, what is your one bleeding neck challenge? Oh, uh, probably, uh, I think not just me, but most healthcare, healthcare CISOs we deal with PHI every day. And I think the amount of information we collect, we store, we process, even though we encrypt them, it's really still too much. It's very challenging when you have volumes and volumes of data logs, and then you got, you know, I have a big team, but it's still not enough. You know, we have tools that we can rely for automation, but that just the speed of business is, is too fast for security today. So given that challenge, what's the ultimate goal you're trying to achieve within the organization? 
like most CISOs, I think our goal is to be able to, it's so easy to say, protect our environment, you know, be more resilient. But I think, you know, in a, today's, uh, it's, it's so hard to, to secure your environment. I think for most of us, at least for me, I want to make sure that we do our best to make sure that we could operate, operate effectively. We could protect our data. When things happen, we could respond quickly. Many of us struggle because we're trying to do everything. I think the key for us is to be able to, what can we do, you know, with the limitation of tools, people, processes. I think the most important for us is to be able to stop the 98% of the attacks that we can stop. You know, mm -hmm. 2% is going to be so hard. You know, we have tools that hopefully we'll catch them, but a lot of things in my industry, in our industries, in healthcare, especially, we are already overworked, more working eight to 12 hours a day, sometimes 16 hours. And I could not ask for more. They're already, you know, stretched too thin, working too much. So I think for most of us, it's important that we, you know, we address the most common issues that we can block today. And slowly improve, you know, we can't be hundred percent, but I think if we could push it to 99 point something, we'll do that. Take me back to the day when you decided to evaluate a tool or a solution to, you know, handle PHI or deal with the speed of, of the market within your team, right? You talked about processes and automation and all that kind of stuff. Tell me what happened. We look at problems in a variety of ways. You know, most people think a tool will solve the problem. And I think it's important for a CISO and for a lot of security leaders today to, you know, to keep up with the speed of business, we gotta make sure that we get this blueprint, if you can call it, you know, we gotta have the right process, the right understanding of what we're trying to solve, the right solution. You know, those solutions mostly cost a lot of money and, you know, we don't have a unlimited bank account. We want to make sure that. It, we find a solution that fits our budget, that is at least addressing, you know, the most critical risks we have. We look outside our group. There's a lot of resources outside. You know, Danny, you and Chris Roberts' podcast, some of the content that you put out there are very helpful for my job. They help me evaluate things. They help me... Um, identify some solutions that I might not be even aware of. And that's mm -hmm. why I probably, even though I work a lot of hours a day, I make sure that I spend time on LinkedIn, Twitter, and other social media, other platform, because there's a lot of things out there that I don't, I'm not aware of. Another good, great example is I maintain a group of uh, CISO group chats and they've been very valuable sources of information. The other day, someone posted something that is close to my problem. And I didn't have to post that question. Someone posted it. And, you know, a lot of people that work with me think that I know everything. And they didn't realize, you know, I still, I don't have all the time in the world to know everything. I, I rely on peers and, and, and people like you to get me some answers to some of the problems we tackle every day. I love, love, love that you brought up CISOXE 
and yeah. the concept and and the value. Well, you brought up partially the value of of the peer to peer in the community, but I want to double click into that, and we're going to totally go off the talking track now, and and focus on the community aspect of security. I, I'd love to know, in your opinion, why is peer to peer so powerful in cybersecurity? Oh, wait. Do we have three hours? I don't okay, think we have three you minutes. have you have thirty minutes. Go. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's. I think that's one of the reasons why we built CISO. XE was actually XE's for exchange, and we wanted to have a platform for us to be able to share. You know, some of our the things we do. Maybe thirty, forty percent of the things I'm doing today, Danny, are are taken from experiences from other CISOs. The other day I attended a, as an executive advisory board and there's like 15 CISOs in the room. We talked about identity management and there's a lot of things I learned from that group. You know, there were, there were companies with 500,000 employees in that room and we have the same problem. I don't have 500,000, I do have 30,000, still a lot of problems. This peer-to-peer is so valuable for us because, uh, you know, we can't just rely on vendors to tell us, hey, this is the best thing in sliced bread. We, it's always good to ask for advice. A lot of them, they have this experience. Hey, one particular cloud security tool that we have decided to, you know, to go with, you know, to purchase is coming from this peer-to-peer group. Someone actually, not, not even me, someone said, hey, what is your experience with this product? And just like seven, eight CISOs back and forth posting their experience and I said, you know, and this is exactly our experience toward a POC. You know, the POC is so limited. You cannot under, you cannot identify the volume and problems in a short 30-day POC. This group of CISOs, they have been running some of these tools for months now. They were not marketing for their product. They were providing, hey, here's the good and the bad. And just imagine the information I gathered there. I would pay for some of those information if there was a service out there. <laughs> so, yeah, it is very valuable, Danny. Everything, you know, from uh, staffing alone. You know, when I need some, you know, when I need important resources, they know, you know, they are the first people who will send me their recommendations. One CISO, she's, she she works for a finance company. She said, hey, we're we're experiencing some some reduction in force in the company and I hate to lose my cloud security architect in the market. Would you, you know, it's like three or four seasons raise their hand. Hey, I want his resume. So it's very valuable. I, I, I could tell you, I, I without that, I'll, I'll, you know, I won't be lost, but I'll get a lot of the more, a lot of the information I would get from, you know, it would take me weeks or days, gather information. There is very quick. Post it, you'll get the answers quickly. Would you say that face-to-face is most powerful or would you also have some kind of hybrid model where it would be virtual Slack, you know, Zoom meetings? Yeah, we we do both. There is really no uh, alternative to -to face-to-face. A face-to-face is very intimate, very, you know, last week I had the dinner with about 14 CISOs last weekend, mm-hmm. we talked about asset management. We talked about some of our, you know, experiences with some of the tools, some process, 
some of the challenges, some of, uh, you know, success stories. It was very uh, uh, collaborative. The, the group chats and the Slack and the chats, others are very helpful. But I think I, I like to meet them at least once or twice, you know, twice a month at least. It's, it's very refreshing. We just don't talk about products and tools. We also talk about, hey, how do you take care of yourself? Many of us are overstressed mm -hmm. and we want to make, you know, and you, you probably know, I take a group of security leaders for a bike ride every Saturday and Sunday. So, you know, we work a lot during Mondays to Fridays and, you know, we try to, we try not to talk about cybersecurity during those rides, but, you know, looking back at least four or five times during the ride, we'll, we'll talk about cybersecurity, <laughs> even if we try to go. avoid talking about cybersecurity. I, I might have to make my way over to Dallas and be that stalker, stalker biker behind you trying to listen in on the, on the juice. <laughs> oh, yeah, you're welcome. We, we do have some non-CISOs in the group and, you know, it's a very diverse, you know, we have people who are engineers, upcoming CISOs who are on the rides and very enjoyable. And it's refreshing sometimes. Yeah, you're not in front of the computer, you know, or you're mm -hmm. on the trail. In nature, really fun. I love that approach. Super intimate. You highlighted some use cases. In your opinion, what is the ideal structure of a community peer-to-peer -peer event? How would it look like in your eyes? You know, you, you unveiled some great methods, bike rides, dinners. But what do you like? I, you know, we've been experimenting at CISOXE. I don't really... We're still trying to find what would work best in terms of structure. We've done obviously three conferences now. They've been very valuable in terms of learning, in terms of networking. Every conference, mind it's just the third conference coming December 8th, we've seen also new faces of CISOs in the Dallas area. But I think the key is like the, the, the diversity of activities. We're doing conferences, we're doing dinners, we're doing bike rides. We're constantly trying to think of what would really be interesting. I'll give you an example. Last week we had a dinner and of course it was sponsored by a, uh, an organization, by a, a, a vendor. And I, I told the org, I told the sponsor that, Hey, just focus 10 minutes about your product, who you are, some of your customers and let's have it very relaxing evening and all of us work tirelessly all day and to go to dinner was very, you know, refreshing. You know, you stayed, I'm here, going to be here 10 hours today, Danny, at least. And I want to go to a nice dinner and be able to talk to my friends, but I don't want to go listen to another PowerPoint or maybe listen to another sales pitch. So, you know, that dinner was very good for us, but at the same time, uh, I don't want it to look like work. I think that's the case. It should not resemble like you're still working. Yeah. And I don't know. I know a lot of vendors have been doing events like shooting, like boots or bourbon tasting. After COVID, you know, we, we, we missed those. In the past four months, I think, Danny, at least in the Dallas area, there's at least four or five events every week. Unfortunately, we can probably attend only one of them at, mm -hmm. at best. And 
going back to your question about structure, I don't really know that, you know, what would work best because everyone, uh, some of our friends don't even attend anymore because they're so busy and tired. Many of them work 50 to 60 hours. And I said, you know, sometimes I'll text them, hey, we miss you again at the event. Hey, see, sorry, I, I didn't realize the CISO job that I just took is much harder than my previous ones. <laughs> they, they work hard and, and it's fine. It's hard to find a way for us to, how we could have this peer-to-peer conversation where it doesn't interfere with work. That's why the bike rides really work well, but mountain biking is not really for everyone. It's quite dangerous, which is really ironic. You know, we guys are <laughs> risk-averse people, and then we do mountain biking, you know. I'll explain that on another segment, why we do it. We yeah. have a, we have a talk about it, about why are CISOs love mountain biking? <laughs> that's That's hilarious. You mentioned yeah. something interesting, though. You said that there are about four to five events a week and, you know, CISOs only have time for an average of one. How how do you go about separating, you know, or identifying which ones would be most valuable to you? What is the indicator that, that for you to, to go, okay, ooh, I should I should go to this yeah. event? Well, the, there's another side of the coin there, Danny. The schedule is very affordable. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, you know, there was an event a few weeks ago that I really wanted to go because they're going to talk about cloud security. Unfortunately, it dropped on a, a Tuesday afternoon and I couldn't do it. For many of us, we don't have, you know, we will, if, if it's really a great, great program with a great speaker, a great resource, we'll get out of our way and attend that. But 90% of the time, Danny, we have to look at our own schedule. And many of us have still, you know, younger kids. I, I'm fortunate my kids are in college now and all of them are in the dorm. I don't have to worry about, you know, but work, we have too much work. I usually, if if it's something that I, I have to attend, I'll just take a PTO or something. I'll just take a time off and be able to go. But 90% of the time, of the 90% of the time, I'll just have to, find a way for me. If I have a schedule open, you know, for some reason, I don't have anything after 5 p.m. and there's a dinner, I'll go try it and, and attend. Now, those kids, those CISOs with kids, it's so hard. A lot of their activities are after school, like four or five, five o'clock. So I rarely see some of my friends on young kids. I usually see them on the weekends when we have, you know, hey, we have, we have to go to a mountain bike ride or something. I would be really glad if someone invites me for a, uh, like a, uh, maybe a lunch on Saturday or Sunday, uh, not Sunday, you know, something peer to peer. I won't do that every Saturday, but I think once a month, I'll make time because there's no work. We've done so many lunches at CISOXE, uh, Danny, and you will see half of the people are on their phones, either texting, emailing, or on a conference call. I feel bad. That's why we stop the lunches. We stopped the CISO XE lunch because I feel bad that they would go and still spend half of the time on their phones. And that was during the week or also on a Saturday? Yeah, just a weekdays. None. Gotcha. I don't, have not seen a, an organization schedule something on a weekend. I would love to. Yeah. Probably, especially if you schedule it like five weeks, six weeks in advance, 
people will make time to sit down, not be bothered by work. Not that word is above, it's our primary responsibility, but it would be good if there's less distraction. That's why the dinners work well because around six o'clock, there's very little, you know, emails coming in that requires responses or meetings. Right. I love that insight. That's super, super critical to understand from a behavioral standpoint and and, uh, convenience for the specific audience. You mentioned PowerPoints and vendors and the sales pitch. Now, vendors that do invest in these types of events do need to show some kind of tangible ROI from the events as well. At what point is it okay to bring in that PowerPoint or the value proposition to the event? Most of my colleagues agree with me on this topic that especially initial meetings, Initial meetings, I don't think there's a room for, you know, demos or PowerPoints because I think I heard it from you, Danny. It's it's all about relations. It's all about relationships. If you don't have a relationship, you know, you know, the products, the technology is is probably seventy percent of the equation. But you gotta have to build that partnership and relationship with with us. And that example, I you know last week at the dinner, I told them, please, no PowerPoint, no demos, take advantage of this gathering to build a relationship with, with the CISOs. I think PowerPoints and demos have a time, maybe second or third meeting when you've identified, is there a, a legitimate need for this solution? Is there a problem that you're trying to solve? The difficulty is many vendors and manufacturers start dishing out white papers and PowerPoints when they don't even know what struggles you have, what are your pain points. So I think it's very important for the vendor community to understand, hey, you got to do it step by step. Now, I understand they have to, you know, many of these vendors spend hundreds or thousands of dollars organizing these gatherings, these dinners, but at the same time, you know, I think they will benefit more if they start building the relationship than doing PowerPoint. So PowerPoint yeah, I, I think the second or third meetings, that's a great time, especially if you have some idea about the environment of the target client, the resourcing, the mm-hmm. challenges, the compliance obligations that this organization is facing right now. There's a checklist that you need to do before you do a, a PowerPoint. You talked about a few of the requirements on that checklist, right? Before even having uh, a pitch, right? What are the requirements? Yeah, yeah, on that? yeah. There's a lot of pre-work that needs to be done before you can start pitching your product. I believe the first step is always build that relationship. Like like that event I mentioned to you last week, we were, we the dinner is designed for three hours and I only told them, hey, use five, 10 minutes, maybe 15 minutes max. Talk about yourself. Talk about some of, you know, your product capabilities, very shortened version, some of your customers that you could highlight as a reference customer. And that's it. And the reason for that is I want, I want them to build a relationship with this, with the guest first. I think it's important to, to build that partnership, build that relationship. I see you, Danny, you're a big. And of relationships, I, I'm I'm a big believer that relationships should be the first step before even 
throwing out a white paper, a PowerPoint or a demo. And there's other things you need to understand, you know, even without, you know, even with NDA or not, a lot of the CISOs will not divulge much of their organization to you because they don't know you well. You need to make sure, you know, what's the pain point? Is it even a problem? You know, you have to make sure that you're checking all these boxes first before you start presenting. You want to even start with what type of environment they have. Are they cloud-based? Are they Microsoft-centric organization? Do they have, you know, they may have a solution already in place. So those are the things I think they had to identify, you know, before even scheduling a, a, a demo presentation. I think the second meeting or the third meeting would be the best time to, to start, you know, doing that. You need to do all this pre-work. I've been a buyer now, Danny, for since 2005, buying solutions and technologies now for a lot of companies. And until now, for some reason, <clears throat> you think people have learned how to sell and it's 2022 today. And somehow they think these tactics still work with, you know, buyers. I mean, they have to do the pre-work before they could get my attention. I really need to know, but they have to approach it in a proper way because sometimes when your email suggests that, hey, do you, do you know how to prevent a breach? Something like that, or anything that tells you, you, we won't even open the email. It has to start somewhere. You have to, you know, what is it that will make me answer a phone call or answer an email or attend an event? There has to be something. And number one for us is really, if our schedule allows it, if we have an urgent need for that, you know, if we have, if we're trying to solve a problem, we will, we will answer that phone, answer that email, or even attend the session or the dinner or the lunch or the conference. In order to establish that relationship, though, what, in your opinion, is the, the starting point or step one? I think it's very important to just not even approach it as a, as a vendor or seller. Don't approach it. When you meet a person like me or some of my peers here in the Dallas area, I think it's important to, how do you say it, you know? There, there's an art to this when, you know, I made, I became friends with a lot of salespeople and, but there's still a lot of salespeople today that I'm not very close because they started selling me product on the day we met. And I think that's the wrong move. I think the first thing they need to establish is, Hey, you know, build that relationship. There's so many ways there's. There's probably a book out there on how to build a relationship with your, with your buyers, but I think it has to start from building that relationship. I'll give you an example. There's this lady, when I used to be a CISO of, the, of a large airport here in the Dallas area, I get between 10 to 15 phone calls a day. Good sure. thing I, I, at that job, I had an admin assistant to screen all those calls. And for some reason, 95, 98% of this cold callers where, you know, 90% of them, we don't even talk to them again, or she's always saying, Hey, Cecil is busy. Send him an email. There's one lady that was able to get through my firewall, my human firewall. And I asked her, Hey, how, 
you know, you've always turned down meetings with me. How were you able to schedule a meeting with her? I don't even know her. Cecil, you know, when I talk to her, she's very nice. You know, there's dozens of salespeople who calls you every day, but this lady is just so nice, very patient, very respectful. And then, you know, one day she just gave me, you know, you know, just a thank you card. I felt, you know, I felt bad and I said, you know, I'm going to reciprocate and schedule a meeting with, Ce you know, with her and Cecil. And, and I said, I'm not mad. I'm, I'm happy because I like those salespeople who are respectful of the time. And she, she did everything, you know, she was very patient. She was nice to, to my people, to my, to my team and not disrespecting. And I've seen so many salespeople even, you know, you know, hang up and say something. Yeah, I, I was surprised that they are very disrespectful in some cases. There's one lady who's actually still around. She's been calling relentlessly, like every week. And, you know, of course, you know, hey, if you need a meeting, just email Cecil. And it came to a point, I think, on the third or fourth call that she was not very nice to my team and to everyone. She tried to reach out to me and, and I had to tell my team not to talk to her anymore. It was really difficult decision, but she was very disrespectful. Everyone is busy, but you know, a lot of my folks don't deserve to be uh, scolded over the phone. I do have one juicier story. This happened maybe seven, eight years ago. You know, we have a solution already in place. We're not, we're, we've decided on a solution that we really like based on our technical evaluation, but this competing salesperson was, you know, was quite upset that we made, we made a different decision. Went to my CIO, went to my CISO first, and then went to my CIO. Oh, I think he spoke to all my leadership that Cecil was making a wrong, you know, the wrong call on, on this particular product. Oh, he went, he went. He went to talk to my executives that I do not answer my phone, that I made the wrong decision. It was very bad. Just imagine, I don't think my CEO even knows my name. And for this person to go escalate to my CEO was quite surprising. So I still remember, I, I know him, I still see him around. All right. Well, we're headed towards the end of the session. Cecil, I want to know before we sign off, is there anything you want to impart on the audience today? I think we've covered some of those messages. Yeah. But I, I would say this is really important. I, I, we always, so remember, Cecil's like us, we, we meet in the trail, we meet in dinners, we drink. I had just dinner with Cecil on Monday night. We talk about a lot of, we talk about products, marketing, marketing people, salespeople. I think it's important that especially people working in the manufacturer vendor side, Cybersecurity is, you sell a, a variety of products, but I think most people forget that you sell trust. You know, you sell products that helps us, you know, establish trust, not just for my company, but, you know, for us to, to, to look into your products. I think it's important that you start there at the relationship level. You know, your product may be the best thing, you know, maybe at the top quadrant of the gardener or forester or, you know. But at the same time, if we don't feel good about doing business with your company, it's not, you've got to be able to start there. 
build the relationship with the CISO. It doesn't have to be the CEO of your company. It doesn't have to be the CTO. It could be a business development person as, you know, a salesperson within your team. I think it's important to build that relationship. You always look at the long term. I know it's so easy for me to say, I know a lot of salespeople. Your shelf life is so short because of the quotas, but I think you always look at the long term. And I'll, the perfect example for you is there's this person that I work with today. This salesperson was handling my account many years ago. I never bought anything from him, not because I don't trust him, but I don't trust, not that I don't trust the products he sells, but it's really because I didn't have the opportunity to buy from him. But he sat around. We have developed a great friendship and relationship over six years, I think now, never bought from him. But now, mm -hmm. as a, you know, now he works for a company that I, I believe I need, I really need their products. And guess what? He didn't have to, you know, I actually called him. He didn't call. I called him. Mm -hmm. Hey, I am so glad you work for the company because I think I need you. So I think that's, I think you kind of look at this at, in the long term. Short term is, you know, I, I know it's so easy for me because you got to go to this quarter this year, but I think it's, it's important that you establish that before you even do your first single speech. Hopefully that. Yeah. A hundred percent. I couldn't agree more. And I so, so appreciate the, the brutally honest feedback. This has been a great session. You are always welcome to the show by the way. Yeah. Oh, well, invite me. I'll be there every time. Well, hopefully we'll, we'll have to do something in person at yeah. one point. Yeah. We get, you know. If you can go here on December 8th, we'll do our own session in person. Oh my goodness. I might have to, I might have to take you up on that offer. Yeah, it's uh, super compelling. Chris is going to be here. There's a lot of people, you know, will be here. So try to go. I appreciate it. Cecil, well, this has been a pleasure. Thanks so much for joining once again. Yeah. I, I would love to be here and We'll do it again if you ask me again. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Audience First. If you like what you've heard, feel free to follow or subscribe to Audience First on Apple, Spotify, or any of your favorite podcast streamers.